Imagine a world without HIV. At Adimmune, we see that world as a very real possibility. We're pursuing a potential cure for HIV using gene therapy, and we believe we could see the end of HIV in our lifetimes. For people living with HIV, a cure would mean no more lifelong antiretroviral therapy, no fear of AIDS, and no possibility of being contagious. On The Cure Chronicles, we take a deep look into the lives of extraordinary individuals, authors, comedians, doctors, community leaders, educators, advocates, and more, many with their own diagnoses, who are all striving toward the common goal of ending HIV. Welcome to The Cure Chronicles. I'm ecstatic to be joined by Guy Anthony today, a dedicated HIV AIDS activist, community leader, and author. Diagnosed with HIV as a teen, Guy has dedicated his adult life to the pursuit of neutralizing local and global HIV and AIDS-related stigma. He released a book called Positively Beautiful and was named one of the top 100 HIV prevention leaders under 30 by Pause Magazine, one of the top 100 Black LGBTQ SGL emerging leaders to watch by National Black Justice Coalition, and one of DBQ Magazine's Loud 100 which happens to be the only LGBTQ list of 100 influential people of color. He's also founder of the Black Gifted and Whole Foundation, an organization that provides scholarship to black gay men attending college. Very impressive. Welcome, Guy, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is an honor. I'm excited about this. Um, anytime I get to share what I've gone through um, with anyone, uh, you know, I take it very seriously. Um, mm -hmm. I do not play around with my story because I understand that my story has gotten me to this point and it has positively impacted other people's lives. I don't know how um, <laughs> because it's just my truth, you know, but apparently my truth resonates with people. So, sure. you know, I won't fight it. But a little bit about why I say that is because growing up in a very religious household, um, you know, my parents, my mom's almost an evangelist, if you will. Um, we all grew up in church. Sex was not even talked about. So before we can even think about HIV being stigmatized, hell, sex was, was stigmatized in my household. And mm. then after I was, you know, I was outed. I didn't have the luxury of coming out on my own. I was outed mm. by a family member at the age of 16. Before I even understood what my sexuality would be, I knew that there were some things that happened to me in my childhood that um, would ultimately change the trajectory of my life. And so I knew that I was you know, struggling with these feelings, but whenever I would try to talk about it, it was go pray about it or let's go to the altar. And so before I even was infected with HIV, my sex was stigmatized. And so, you know, and I'm not alone in that. A lot of black and brown communities, we are very religious and the stigmatization of even having sex, God forbid I have same sex sex, you know? So that was something <laughs> that we talked about. My parents never talked to me about sex. Everything that I learned about sex, I learned from other people in the world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I often say that, you know, most people are afraid of the stigma because I know a lot of people that are in, in care, but won't talk about it. Huh. 
And so essentially, I may be jumping around a bit. That was really one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book Positively Beautiful is because I had so many friends living with HIV, but they were sort of all coming to me and dumping on me and asking for the resources. And how do I talk to my doctor? How, how should I empower myself to communicate with my doctor about my own sex life? And so yeah. that's, that's why I wrote the book, like, okay, listen, I have so many friends living with HIV, but everyone's afraid to talk about it. And so I think that, you know, storytelling has definitely helped my career in the sense that I'm not afraid to share, you know, how I became HIV positive, you know, my life before and post diagnosis. Um, and especially in the South, where they don't have as many resources as I have in living in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. You know, my health care looks completely different than another Black gay man's health. Um, and, you know, the way in which he engages his doctors in the South. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to, you know, not make an umbrella statement, but just let everyone know that, you know, you could be in the South, you could be on the West Coast or the East Coast, and we're all living with this disease. And you, you may not be as vocal as I am about it, but you can talk about it. And here's the language to help you talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So... So this is your way of breaking through the stigma is to be really Absolutely. open and genuine about your situation. And it sounds like people can go ahead and identify with you. But but it also does seem like you've made a, a you know some tremendous step forward in your own life, because one of the things that I saw in, in your book was, you know, a couple of concepts that I really, you know, um, that's that stuck out at me uh, that I was looking forward to talking to you about. One was the difference between living with HIV rather than being HIV positive. And then the second thing, which I thought was related, was finding happiness. Like yeah. at the end of one of the chapters, you go, I am happy, yeah. okay? And you know, happiness is a very complex concept, right? Yeah. But there is a possibility of finding happiness in a wide variety of situations. There isn't just one way to be happy. Yeah. You know, can you, you know, kind of share some of your yeah. wisdom in this area, because I think that a lot of people are trying to look for that, you know, that that uh, opportunity to still be happy, even facing challenges as, as you know, just uh, huge as, yeah. you know, as and, living with HIV. And even with that, because I feel like when you say um, I am HIV positive, you put yourself in a box. Mm -hmm. And when I say that I have HIV, I'm also dark skin. I also am an actor. I'm also all these other things besides mm -hmm. my HIV status. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes people get so caught up in that status um, because to them, it is the end all to their life. Mm -hmm. And what I understood the most is that I truly began to live after my diagnosis, mm -hmm. which, is, which is quite interesting because yeah. before... I mean, a little bit more about my background, I don't mind. I was, you know, a drug addict living in LA when I was diagnosed. I had mm -hmm. been sexually assaulted when I was living in Philadelphia. That is how I seroconverted. So, you know, it wasn't as if um, I was promiscuous and having lots of sex. I was actually sexually assaulted. And so yeah. when you think about the stigma, it's really, it's not the HIV, it's around the sex part. And yeah. I'm like, okay, so what if I was sexually assaulted? Do you still feel that way about HIV now? Because mm -hmm. this wasn't something that I could control. And even if you could control it and you, you had sex and you, you know, serial converted in that way, so what? There shouldn't be any stigma around it anyway. And so, yeah. Oh, God. yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, 
and I think it's more, you know, what do you, it's not so much how you think about HIV, but how you think about the person yes. who happens to have HIV and, and yes. what does that mean? That is the stigma, right? You know, because you know, there is this presumption, right? Uh, yes. That immediate presumption that, oh, well, if they have HIV, they must be gay. Well, yeah. that is a, is absolutely false. Okay. I talked to lots of well, people that are straight that have HIV. Essentially, <laughs> that's the way the media has portrayed it, right? Because, you know, even when I was younger, um, I didn't know what HIV was per se, but I just knew it was a gay disease. Right, right. Yeah, and that's so, what like, it, it's almost like it, they only talk about it together, right? They only talk about it in that regard. It, and then it's, you know, and even if, you know, growing up in Detroit, you know, as a gay man, I, as I got older, I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to get HIV. Because that was almost expected of me being gay. You know, especially in a, I remember, you know, growing up, like I said, in church and our pastor would preach about homosexuality and the result of being gay would be HIV. Mm -hmm. So you already oh, wow. have the fear of God in me um, yeah. that I would contract, you know, contract HIV without me even understanding my sexuality at that time. And so like what I, what I try to do is I'm, I'm a rapper. I'm an artist, I write, I'm an advocate, I'm a son, I'm a brother. I'm all those things wrapped up in one. HIV is just part of my story. Right. And I make it a point to, you know, let people know that everything that you wanted to do before your diagnosis, you can still do. And so yeah. to go back about the way that I started to live after diagnosis, I was going down a very dark path. And I did not see myself making it to 25 years old. I really did not because I was dealing with so much depression. You know, un I didn't know at that time, but it was depression. I have bipolar disorder and I take medication for it. So that's also something else, right? And so I knew that I had been depressed because of the molestation as a child and then the rape at 19. I just knew and, and, and I self-medicated with the drugs and I just did not see myself living. And then one day, you know, I go get tested and it came back positive. I remember um, the tester was just like, you, you have no emotion. Like, you know, there was no tears. I knew it because I felt like I had been told my whole life because I was a gay man that I would get HIV. So to me, it was just like, okay, just another thing. And so, you know, for a while, I had a near death experience um, while living in LA and I had to go back home. And that's the moment I was like, I'm not gonna allow HIV to take me out. I'm not gonna allow anything to take me out, period. And so that's when I got into care because I met a man um, in Atlanta and I was underinsured, um, just underweight, all these types of things. And I remember Googling and researching um, HIV AIDS organizations, you know, in my area. And I found this center, this drop-in center. And it was the first time um, that I had seen other Black gay men talk about HIV in such a way that it wasn't a death sentence. And I was like, okay, so there are people actually living whole lives with HIV. And I remember my mentor at the time, I was struggling with, you know, coming out, disclosing my own status. And he told me, he says, guy, if we don't tell our own stories, then our stories die with us or people are left to determine the story about us. Mm. And at that moment, it clicked. I got to tell my story. Yeah. And that's how Positively Beautiful, you know, was born because I decided that I don't want anybody telling my story but me. Right. And, and it is not, a, this is not the end of my story, me being, you know, HIV positive. In so many ways, my career took off after, you know, sitting in that truth. But I do understand that everybody's 
you know, trajectory in life is not to disclose their status or be as public as I am. But mm -hmm. that's my way of, you know, getting myself out of depression, getting myself out of the mind frame that I was going to die from this disease. Like, no, I am going to live and I'm going to help other people live too. I mean, that's just absolutely fascinating. It seems like facing your greatest fear, sort of realizing your greatest fear, made you kind of relook at your entire life and decide to start living it, right? Yes. You were, uh, you know, you. It, it seems like you kind of, that was a moment, a turning point where you decided you're going to take charge of your life. And then it looks yes. like you got a, a little bit of luck there, like you ran into somebody that was a, a good mentor, right? Yes. Which is and, critically important, right? And that's and, another thing that you're doing here with all of your openness, with all of telling your truth. You're, you're spreading a lot of the things that you learned from that part of your journey. And this could be something that could, you know, give somebody a new perspective and they could grab onto their life and be more than just HIV positive. They could be living with HIV and that could just be part of their life. And the rest of their life could be happy and fulfilling and, yeah. and, and they could be directing their own life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, it, what a fantastic, uh, you know, way to look at it. So, so how do you, so can you share with me a little bit of, you know, what is the day-to-day -day experience uh, living with HIV? So what are the extra things that have to be incorporated in your life or the things that come along with HIV that you just have to deal with that are the things that you have to kind of set aside uh, and then, you know, add in everything else that is fulfilling in, in your life? Well, I have two, I, I guess I have two you know, um, two starting points. One, um, being newly diagnosed was different from my day to day. Mm -hmm. But now I'm 17 years positive. Mm -hmm. So the only time I remember that I have HIV is when I take my meds at night. Got it. Okay. Right? So and once so once a day you get reminded, and is that just like one one pill or one pill a day? And that and like and that is mind boggling to me because yeah. And I owe it to my ancestors who had to take upwards to 30 pills a day in yeah. 1986, the year I was born, right? Mm -hmm. And all I have to take is one? How oh, dare and I? Even the people that were taking 36 pills, most of them died it, from, and, from and HIV. And now you take one and your expectation is a normal lifespan. I mean, and now, yeah. you know, with Cabanuva, bi-monthly, I can take an injectable. So uh -huh. six times a year, I take my Medicaid, I can, you know, get injections, right? And so, you know, right. that just, it, it's mind blowing that my ancestors had to, you know, do so much and fight for us. So the act up people, even some, yeah. some, you know, some people in my life, Marlon Riggs, Essex Hemsfield, you know, who are my ancestors who died before, you know, recognizing that they could live because they didn't have the opportunity to. And so, yeah. you know, if I just have to take one pill a day, it's worth it because they put in so much work for me to get that one pill. And so, yeah, but I did yeah. say when I did, when I was newly diagnosed, it was such a burden because, you know, I did not have my own place. So I was living with people. I was under, like underinsured. And so the stigma there was, okay, now I have to take this medication. Where do I even store my medication? Right? So hmm. that's what, like, when you're, when you're living with someone and you have disclosed your status, you're kind of at the mercy of other people being in the room or being at home. So you have to sneak off and take medication or you just bypass taking medication altogether. Yes, these are real things that are happening oh. with people. And that's why I always say, you know, what we're lacking at across the board is are the wraparound services that people living with HIV deserve. 
right? So now I'm newly diagnosed. You know, I have ADAP. You connected me to the resource. But now, okay, I live with my mom. I don't want her to know I have HIV. You know, where do I store my medication? What about my food insecurities? Do I have enough food to take my medications with? There are so many things that a lot of people are dealing with that I don't have to deal with because I, like you say, I got a little lucky. I moved to a place like DC where pretty much everyone is insured, right? And then I moved to a place like New York where the moment you test positive in New York, you are guaranteed a housing voucher and you um, you get a metro pass and you get food stamps. Right. So those wraparound services, but I have to be cognizant that someone in um, Mississippi, a black gay man or, or, or anyone living with HIV in Mississippi, they are not gonna get a housing voucher. They're not gonna get access, you know, ha- available access to the doctors to and fro. Like how am I supposed to get to my, my visits? So these are so many things that a lot of people like me are really dealing with, and it takes people like me that only thinks about it one time of day to advocate for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it is uh, neat that you call back to those activists of the yeah. '80s because if oh, they hadn't gotten the attention that they that they that they uh, received by yeah. forcing themselves on politicians and leaders and things like that, uh, you know, they would you know they could have taken twice as long to develop what we have today. Right. And so my offering is to advocate for, you know, I, I work in corporate America, I work with pharmaceutical companies, and oftentimes I'm the only black man at the table. And then I'm the only black man with HIV at the table. So there are so many people making decisions about my life without my input. And the lives of people like you, right? You know, but one of the things that you said in your book is that 3% of gay black men become infected. I mean, well, if that's the case, right? You know, if you look at the, the the general population of the United States and the rate of HIV infection, that is huge. That's huge. That's even yeah, yeah. So, like, how could you not be represented in you know yeah. sort of all of the thinking? That's a market by itself. Yeah, right. And you that's know, that, why I wrote the book. <laughs> yeah. I wrote the book for that reason alone. Is I wanted people to see themselves, and I did not want to focus on morbidity of living with HIV. I wanted to focus on the vitality of life mm-hmm. once I'm diagnosed. So if you notice there, are, I, I took time and made the, the typography in the book beautiful. The cover's beautiful. It's hidden gems. There are little pills. There's a heart in there. There's a man pushing to the earth, you know, trying to get out of his situation and, and see the light. Um, yeah. it, it, I took... I made sure that I styled the guides right. I took great pictures. I wanted people yeah. to see themselves in this book and not go, okay, this is somebody else just preaching to us to get us to take medication. No, that's just half of the battle, right? Like I need you to see yourself represented in this little book because it's only a couple pages, right? But that book has gotten me to interview with you today. So uh, it's not just a little book, right? It's something yeah, well, that- Well, no, I mean, you've done so much more than just the book too. I mean- Well, that, that, that was the impetus, like that started it off. Like people, really? I would have not gotten a job as a- That was your little work, that was your work of art that actually that sort of brought people to the table. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and it is a work of art. I mean, I think I think what you're talking about in terms of the thought that went into the cover graphic, and yes. you know, um, it, you know the the way that you presented the folks in that book. Of course, it, they they are in, you know, I'm I'm not gay myself, but I recognize that those guys are incredibly attractive guys living <laughs> with HIV, right? Yeah, and yeah. you did you made them look beautiful. You made them look like they were living a life 
through yeah. those pictures and then you let them tell their own story yes. and and write <laughs> i love that thing where they write letters to their old selves right yes and you see that they made a transition uh yes. you know from young to old uh and and that advice actually is probably good for for that that person in Mississippi who's, you know, yeah. 12 years old or 15 years old and realizes that they're different. Yeah. And, uh, and, and feels like they're really alone and yeah. they read that book and they realize, okay, you know, this is a, a journey that is actually, you know, uh, been, uh, it, it's, uh, been traveled by many people before yeah. and that might give them the, um, the strength or the motivation to maybe find some of those support groups. Yes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and take charge of their life even earlier than you got to. I mean, you hear you are this incredible success story. And the only thing that would have made it better is if it had happened at 17, right? Where you yes. were able to take care, you know, take charge of your life and maybe without HIV, right? Yes. I mean, now HIV was a trigger, uh, yeah. for you. And it's really great that you can put it in that positive light, but you know, yes. being gay in America is still not simple, is it? Yeah. You know, no. it's uh, you, they need heroes. They need they, you know, they need role models. They need to to know that they're not alone. And then yeah. you know, you add HIV on top of that, and it's like you know, another reason to be in the closet. Another I thing know. that you can't admit to people around you. I, I was yeah. just blown away with you know that you've admitted it to everybody. I mean, that's so yeah. brave. But also, I think you know, the uh, you you move to a location where you can live a normal life because of course in the new york area all right well this is just a thing right no one cares <laughs> yeah, no one cares it's like dc right yeah you know that, but even even those places right it's cool that new york is has got this attitude that well look if you've got hiv then we need to make sure that you can get to your doctor's appointment yes. so that you're not a you know a potential spreader of hiv that you're getting good medication because you know maybe everybody doesn't know this but yeah. You taking your pill every day, you are what are, what is called well controlled, yes. suppressed. You are uninfectious. Yes. You no, know, that's like you're no different than somebody who doesn't have HIV in terms of the level of threat to people around you. You have yes. nothing that is contagious. So, yeah. you know that is something that New York says, "Hey, that's worth an investment in." Let's give him a housing voucher. Let's give him a metro pass. Let's make sure he makes it to his doctor's appointment, gets his medication. Now you were motivated to do that on your own. There's a lot of people that are living with that despair, that depression, yeah. right? And I've talked to some of them too. I've talked to people that were suicidal. Yeah. It just blew, it blew my mind, right? Yeah. You know, they felt like they had nothing to look forward to. Once again, something critical about your story that yeah. everybody needs to hear is Thank that you. there is a reason to go on. There yeah. is a life after, you know, yeah. HIV. And, and, and hopefully and it'll just get better and better, right? And I don't want people to assume that, okay, because I'm so open, so transparent, that I don't have my down days, that I don't mm -hmm. get dark. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one time I was, you know, I met someone, um, I liked them, and we went on a date. And I, for the first time in a very long time, I was a little ner nervous about disclosing. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, because well, this person didn't know me, he didn't know my story, he didn't know I wrote a book, we were just meeting as two people right connecting and then after i disclosed after i disclosed his you know his face changed and yeah. he made the statement that you know oh um i was dirty he was like oh no, I only date clean people now oh. i take three showers a day i'm the cleanest person <laughs> in the world. i mean let's be yeah. but at that moment as as far as i am along in my activism in my advocacy and my tell the world that i'm positive 
that hurt me. That broke oh, my heart a little bit. How could you it know? not hurt you? Yeah. So I, I mean, don't we all want to be liked, right? Don't we all, all want to be, be accepted? Liked. Don't we all want to be loved for what we are, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And and we try our best. And then, you know, somebody tosses something like that at us that, yeah. that really it's just a prejudice. It's just a it's an it's kind of ignorance in a way. Yes. Right. I mean, to associate it with not being clean. I mean, that's just totally the wrong word. But you and, People still yeah. use that language. I can do it. If you do a quick search, I, I did this before this call of HIV on Twitter under trending you'll see so many disparaging things about people yeah. living with, so many jokes about us. Or go mm -hmm. on Instagram and you search HIV and you look and see what people are saying about us. As much as we want to believe people have evolved and they don't think, you know, they don't stigmatize people living with HIV, they still do. And right now it's even more present because we get to see it on social media. And so luckily yeah. that doesn't bother me anymore, but imagine someone newly diagnosed without the resources, without the courage that I have, this could deter them from even getting into care because they don't want people to know. Yeah. And so, you know, that is why it's important that I can cons consistently stay in front of the media and show them like, you can live a full life and talk to, you know, talk, talk about my drug abuse, talk about the molestation, talk about the rape, because a lot of people are going through that too, but they don't have the language. And so I'm mm -hmm. hoping that I'm giving them some sort of language to articulate their feelings and get the help that they need. But it's really difficult with this generation because we all live on our phones and, Imagine seeing HIV dirty, clean, unclean on social media. Like that is mm. heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. Yeah, so. yeah, we're seeing that in so many different areas of young people's lives and how, uh, you know, social media and everybody's addiction yeah. to it and the fact that people can now anonymously snipe at others, yeah. you know, through social media with, uh, you know, anonymity and, you know, they, yeah. and, and you know that it's, this is a natural thing. Like when you go to the playground, you know, the little kids, they feel better about themselves if they can put other people down. And I don't think that adults outgrow that in all cases, no. right? No. Sometimes, you know, the, the reason that they lash out at a uh, vulnerable community or, you know, or they uh, go ahead and embrace these prejudices is just because of their own fears, yeah. you know, their own insecurities, their, you know, their, their own kind of lack of self-esteem. And so, you know, they go, well, you know, if everybody around me is, you know, down a notch, that, that makes yeah. them feel better. That's, a, that's really interesting. And so another part of what I'm hearing in your message is like, hey, yeah. don't, don't be Guy Anthony, take yeah. Guy Anthony's you know, sort of vocabulary, his language, his knowledge, his experience, and then utilize it in your life to, yeah. to grab your life and do what's right for you, right? Because you've yeah. even said a number of times here, hey, I'm not saying everybody should be out loud about this, you know, and, uh, you know, just uh, reveal their status all over the place. Yeah. Now, you did that and that worked for you. But what you're saying is that, you know, they should have the knowledge through which they can select a path forward that will awesome. give them the greatest opportunity for what and what's the big theme in the book happiness happiness right? affirmations and and i and i'm an artist so the book was a form of uh you know an extension of my art you know i released a, a rap album where i talk about drug addiction and i talk about you know being raped and hiv that's another part of my art me advocating on capitol hill for you you know expansion and medicaid for adap that's another part of my art and i often say you know Art saved my life in ways that a doctor couldn't because I was just another number sometimes to these mm -hmm. people, right? I get 15 minutes with the doctor, cool, you take your meds, cool. But no one is really 
you know, looking at the whole person. I'm just sort of a line item on a grant and I don't like that. And so I was empowered enough to create art that resonates with people. And I think mm -hmm. that that is something that kind of dif differentiates me from other activists or advocates is because mm -hmm. I'm putting all of my, my true feelings in my art and people love art that resonates with everyone. So, yeah. you know, I wrote a script recently about, it's called Pause NYC about dating with HIV in New York. That's another form of my art. So I'm yeah. showing people in different ways that you don't necessarily just have to get on a microphone, getting, a, you know, do a pharmaceutical campaign. You can create art and, and let that be an extension of your activism. And you don't yeah. necessarily have to say it, you know, straight ahead. So, yeah, I think that, you know, experience can cause deep feelings and having deep Absolutely. feelings, you know, sort of begs for an outlet. Right. Yes. And then some people are lucky enough to find their art because I, I think that, you know, art is all about uh, not just telling something in a factual way, but telling something in an emotional way as, as well. Right. And and so and I think that's why that has so much appeal to people. Because you're touching not just their their minds with logic, but their hearts with emotion. And when you tell your truth with authenticity, uh, one of the things that I find is it cuts right through to the heart, Absolutely. right? And it gives the head a reason to listen. Yeah. And and so it's a second uh, type of art that you're doing, guy, which is evangelism, right? You know, you called yeah, I, like evangelism has kind of a dirty word down in the in the yeah. south because it's probably all anti-gay and you know has yes. all this stigma and stuff like that. But evangelism to me is about just telling your truth from the heart, mm -hmm. right? And, 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 you know, on this interview and in everything that I've seen you do and, you know, and in the book especially, you know, I really thought that came through. And, you know, so there's two forms of art there that I think are really valuable and, and an opportunity for people to connect with you yeah. and really benefit from, uh, you know, all the things that you um, had the, the courage and the strength yeah. to figure out and to deploy in your life and to yeah. get to such a great place. And I, I, I got to say, you're not, you're, I felt like I knew you before I even met you because I've Aww. seen you so much on TV and, you know, and then having read your book and, and, uh, you know, seen some of your other in interviews, especially the HHS one, I thought that was a really, you know, very tight, you know, few minutes that everybody should watch it. And I want to also say that everybody in the world should read your book. Thank uh, you. you know, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be confined to people that have HIV or people that are gay. No, it yeah. should be for everybody to go ahead and exercise the most important human emotion and attribute that we have, and that is empathy with other yes. people. This Absolutely. is your chance if you are like a straight white, you know, yeah. guy, right, to go ahead and walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Yes. And, 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 you know, one of the things that it might give them is a little bit of more strength to handle the challenges in their life. Absolutely. Everybody looks at their worst problem and it's their worst problem, right? You know, yeah. you get a little bit of perspective and you go, you know, your worst problem ain't all that bad, buddy, right? Yes. You know, buck up, yeah, and yeah. find your happiness and find connection to other people and f figure out a way to love people that are not like yourself, Absolutely. right? And that book just invites you to do it. So highly recommended for everybody out there. Hey, look, I'm going to y'all. This has been a great conversation i mean i just i tell you i just you're you're ex i feel bad about this saying this in a way but you're exactly what i expected 
Oh, cool. I'm that's good. I read. I mean, you obviously you're getting. You know, your art is really exhibiting your soul, and your soul yeah. it comes across when you just chat with somebody. You got a lot to say. I want to talk with you again sometime. Uh, let's not make this our last that. interview, okay? Yeah, uh, this, yeah. This is a great start to uh, you know um, uh, our relationship, right? You know, you, you get a chance to touch somebody else's life and uh, and learn something from it. And I really appreciate you sharing with me today thank you so much. thank you for having me I, I i mean this was maybe my easiest interview like you know it was just a conversation and i love that right because that's what i am i'm an activist and i like to talk from the heart so i appreciate mm. you you know asking me questions um that were about me most people kind of just you know so this is what you've done but no like there's a story behind everything that i've done so i really mm -hmm. appreciate you taking time out to actually read my book <laughs> most people don't <laughs> yeah i so, mean it's such a, a it's such an easy read and it's a quick read it is just jam-packed with you know just instant value i mean it, it just uh yeah uh, um and and uh, i'm so glad you enjoyed this too yes and you know and i i feel like uh yeah this that's what it was all about it was just uh, i want to learn more about you and i'm glad that uh you know, you've been so forthright and uh, so open and, and so articulate uh, as well. So let's do this again real soon. Let's uh, do it. Yeah. Thank you uh, again for uh, joining us on the show. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Cure Chronicles. Stay tuned for new episodes and follow Adamune on social media to hear the latest updates about our ongoing HIV clinical trial.